This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Brokenness is not a popular topic in our culture today. The dictionary has a good definition of what it means to be broken. Listen to this, split, fractured, splintered, cracked into pieces. Is that popular? I mean, is is that appealing? But that's what it means to be broken before God. I mean, you communicate that to our culture. I have one of these flip cards, you know, through the day thoughts for the day from Focus on the Family, James Dobson. And one of the flip cards not too long ago said this, guilt is one of the most painful emotions in human experience. And sometimes it's valid, and sometimes it represents the displeasure of God. And psychology today will tell you, no, guilt's a bad thing, get rid of guilt. In a sense, I agree with that, in a sense, but it's how you get rid of the guilt. And the only way that I can get rid of guilt, I want to get rid of guilt the biblical way, and that means I have to come to God the Father confessing my sins, not confessing my weakness or my um, shortcomings, we like to call it that, or our failures. And that's not what it is. It's sin, man, and sin is bad. And we confess our sins before God, and we come to God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. And that, folks, is the only way I know to get rid of guilt. That's the only way. It's the only right way. Is anybody here in marketing? Make me an ad campaign telling people, tell people they need to be split, they need to be fractured, they need to be shattered into pieces, and they need to be broken before God over their sin, which is ugly, which is an offense to a holy God, and it's damning. Now sell that in our culture today. Now when you present the idea of being broken, you know we're fighting a couple of things, and the first is this whole idea about meeting people's needs. In the Western world, man, we expect to have our needs met. If we don't have our needs met, well, we're going to go someplace else, right? Of course we will. And that's not all bad because I like to go to Myers and stand there in the main aisle, look around, where's this, where's that? And a couple of people come up and say, can I help you? Because they just want to bend over backwards to meet your needs. And that's the kind of a culture we're in, folks. I mean, that creeps into churches and families. Meet my needs or someone will. I talk to lots of people who come to this church and they tell me, oh yeah, we belong to this church and this church and they've been to four or five churches in 10 years. You know how long they're going to be here? I'll give them about a year, maybe two. At the most, two, because somewhere along the line, we are not going to meet one of their needs, and then they skate. They're out of here. Because we want to have our needs met, see? It happens in families, too, man. I'll tell you, it happens in families. Um, I mean, you're not meeting my needs, but guess what? There's somebody who will, and that kills commitment, and man, it's so subtle. I mean, I, I, I mean this, when, when we don't have our needs met... We, 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 we expect people to meet our needs in our culture today. We expect people when we enter into a, I don't care, into any group, any situation, we've been trained to expect people to make a big deal out of us. And all that does is elevate pride. And um, that militates against true brokenness. 
The other thing gets broken this day is the whole self-esteem mentality, and you know what that's all about. I mean, it's more important for kids to feel good about themselves than it is to learn, at least in this country, at least in the Western world. The reason, you know, the reason today people have to be so politically correct is self-esteem. I don't want to damage your self-esteem. Oh, you worship Buddha? I mean, you know, Buddha's your way to heaven? Hey, that's great. Buddha's the way to heaven. He'll get you there. Come on. I mean, don't damage people's self-esteem. I mean, you know, I ask myself, why do people who are indifferent to Jesus Christ, people who really don't care about Jesus. Why do they do what we call, quote unquote, good works? Why do they do it? It's all self-esteem. You know why they do it? To feel good about themselves. I will help this person. Why? Because it makes me feel good about myself. And, and, you know, and, and pleasing God, pleasing God never, ever, ever crosses their mind. And the Bible has something to say about that in Isaiah 64, 6. It says, all these good deeds, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, to please, uh, not to please God unless they're done to please God in faith in Jesus Christ. They're all, all what the Bible calls filthy rags. Here is a difference between a true believer and a non-believer. A true believer will do good works to please God. A non-believer will do good works to feel good about himself or herself. I mean, how do you market this? I mean, this is tough. How do you market Isaiah? Isaiah 64, 6, which reads, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. How do you market that? I was at the Crystal Cathedral a long time ago. I was there for a pastor's conference, and I heard Robert Schuler say that he went door-to-door -door in Anaheim, California when he began that church. He went door-to-door-to-door-to-door-to-door, -door -door and he said to people, what's your greatest need? And people said, almost to a T, almost to a head. They said self-esteem. And that was their perceived need. Of course self-esteem is important. Man, I want to feel good about yourself. You want to feel good about yourself? Of course you do, but it's not the most important thing in life. And that's what our culture has made. And let me say that again. Your self-esteem is not the most important thing in life. And that's how we think. See, listen, I want to tell you this is far more important to be broken before God. It's far more important to be split, to be cracked into pieces, to be shattered, splintered, and fractured than to have high self-esteem. And you try and sell that today. I mean, David knew that. This in God's word, man. I'm not just up here spouting, man. This in God's word. David knew that. Psalm 32, Psalm 51. We're going to look at both of those. He knew what it meant to be broken before God and not always feel good about yourself. Remember David? He was the kid. He was the kid who um, took on the Goliath monster and won. He was the kid that God ordained to be king of Israel, but before he was king of Israel, Saul trailed him for 12 years. The present king jealously, jealously hunted him down for 12 years until God saw foot to put David on the throne. And so David became the darling of the kingdom of Israel, I'll tell you. But he got very proud, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. You all know that story. And then he devises this diabolical plot to take out her husband Uriah. And after a respectable time of mourning, what happens? Well, he takes Bathsheba as his wife. They reign in Jerusalem, and they are both the darlings of the kingdoms of Israel. The darling, darlings, excuse me, of the kingdom of Israel. People love them, David and Bathsheba. And David was guilty, man. And David repressed his guilt. David knew he was no darling, but he buried it, and he refused to admit it. And Psalm 32 I mean, it's buried. He said in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For about 12 months, about 12 months, you know, David was playing this game with God. I mean, he was not admitting to the fact that he was a sinner. And, and it bothered him. I, he was repressing it. I mean, I look at verse 3. David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That simply means he was sick. 
through my groaning all day long. Listen to this. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Man, he's just rationalizing. I mean, he's blaming Bathsheba. You know what David's saying? He's saying, um, um, she, she knew I'd be walking on the roof at midnight. She shouldn't have been out there taking a bath. She set me up, and he blamed her. Or maybe he's going to say her husband Uriah wasn't my best soldier anyway. Probably would have turned traitor. And I did the right thing having him killed for the good of the kingdom, you know. And so David said, when I kept silent, my body wasted away. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He was broken, but he was repressing. No, he wasn't broken just then. He was repressing his sin, and that led to his brokenness because I tell you what, God was so merciful to him. God sent David a prophet. He sent him a man. And when men come into our life or women come into our life and tell us our sin, we don't like it. But I'll tell you, man, you've got to like it because this is God's mercy. Finally, the prophet Nathan came to God, and he told him about this atrocity that was going on in his kingdom. And David said, what? That's happening here in Israel? Well, let's take care of this whole thing. And then the prophet Nathan pointed the finger at him and said, you're the guy. You're the guy responsible for this atrocity. And David was dead silent. And then the Bible says he just broke into tears and he confessed. And Nathan the prophet said, God's taken away your sin, but he hasn't taken away the consequences. And shortly thereafter, David wrote Psalm 51, man, and this is a great prayer of confession. And as you confess your sins, I urge you to pray Psalm 51. It goes like this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, only a few verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. You know what iniquity is? It's not failure. It's not shortcoming. Iniquity is the deepest kind of a sin. It's a stain on your soul. Wash away my iniquity, he said, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. I love this, verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's quite a confession. Then you get to verses 16 and 17, look at those. I mean, these are the key verses in Psalm 51. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. Now listen to this, verse 17, our memory work for today. This is so important. The sacrifices of God are the sacrifices that God wants. The sacrifices he desires are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God wants. He wants a broken spirit. And so far we've seen what stands in the way of a broken spirit. Meet my needs. That stands in the way of what God wants. Always meet my needs. Let me say that again. It stands in the way of what, what God wants. Or, or this whole self-esteem thing. Make me feel good about myself. We've seen David repress his sins. We've seen how God wouldn't let David rest until he confessed. His confession is Psalm 51. In verse 4, you know, first let me say this. David hurt a lot of people with his sin. He hurt an awful lot of people. Murdering Uriah, back adultery with Bathsheba. And what does he say in verse 4? I mean, this, this kind of blows me away. What does he say? He says, against you. And you only have I sinned. Against you and you only have I sinned. That blasts me, folks, I'll tell you. My, you see, my, my first sin is always against God. Now, God's Word tells us there are two kinds of sorrow, two kinds of sorrow over sin. I'm going to 1st, 2nd Corinthians 7. 2nd Corinthians 7, and I'm going to look at verse 8, because here's what happened. Paul was the pastor of the Corinthian church. He was their pastor. 
And there was some heavy stuff going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul had to write a letter that was very, very, very convicting to this Corinthian church. And he says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8, he says, Even if I caused you sorrow by the letter I wrote, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it at the time. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy I wrote it, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow, listen, led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful to God as God intended, and you were not harmed in any way by us or by that letter. Now listen to this, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. See that? That leads to salvation. But worldly sorrow, I've got that circled in this Bible. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Is your sorrow godly or worldly? I want to give an example of worldly sorrow. That's the sorrow of unbelieving people, the sorrow of the world. They say, well, I mouthed off to you, and I feel really bad about that. I hurt your feelings. And what are they really saying? See, you, 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 you provide something in my life that I need, and, and I mouth off to you, and now that something is going to be disrupted, and I do really care about you at least a little bit, and I hurt your feelings, and so I feel bad about that, but there is not one, not one ounce of responsibility over against God. That's worldly sorrow. There's no sense of personal responsibility of sinning against God, see? Or as godly sorrow is a broken heart. Because you sinned against God, and that leads to repentance. That's, see, you pray like this, Father, I'm yours. My flesh took over, and this offense was against you first. Forgive me, please, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. That's what you need to say. That is godly sorrow, the first offense, always, always, always against God. But let me tell you something. Believers in Jesus Christ really fall into this whole trap of worldly sorrow. Folks, look in your, look, look, look in your hearts. Why are you sorry? I mean, David heard all those people, and yet he said in verse 4, Psalm 51, Against you and you only have I sinned. Is your sorrow worldly or is it godly? Here's something else broken people do. Broken people repent of their sins. We've got to talk about that word repent. There's two parts to it. People who are split in two, cracked in pieces, splintered, fractured, and shattered, repent of their sins. Part one of repentance is confession. You confess your sins. That's what David did in Psalm 51. I'm just going to read some verses here. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 7, he said, Cleanse me with hyssop. That's a plant that acts like a brush, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness again in the bones that you have crushed. Then you get to verse 16. You don't delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring a sacrifice. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices God wants, or the sacrifices of God, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And in Jewish culture, the big deal was you had to bring sacrifices for sin. And you always brought sacrifices, a lamb sacrifice for sin. And it got to be old hat with a lot of people. A husband could say to a wife, honey, get a lamb from the flock. I'm going into town today, and I'll take the lamb to the temple, and me and the priest will slaughter it for our sins, you know. Then I'll go shopping in the marketplace. Can I bring you something back? There's no sorrow there. It was just motions. That doesn't please God. That's why David said, what you want is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. God wants a broken spirit. See, I, I tell you what I mean. I try not to lie. I really work at that. I'm aware of lies. I don't want to lie. But I'll tell you what, I'm really good at stretching the truth to make me look good. I really watch my words, and so do you so as to uplift people and not tear them down. But sometimes, 
Sometimes something will come out of my mouth and something will come out of your mouth that's just so, so insensitive to people's feelings. And the big deal is Jesus died for those sins. Now, I don't think we think like that, man. He, he died for that stretch of the truth. I'll tell you, he died for those sins. You know, I go over my day, every evening I go over my day and I look back on my day and I, I confess my sins and sometimes I just want to kick myself. Sometimes I just want to cry because I'm supposed to be growing and there's so much pride in my life. You know what I thought about? I thought about Jesus in Gethsemane. I remember how he agonized in the garden, how he sweat blood before he died. Why did Jesus Christ sweat blood? Why did he agonize so much in the garden of Gethsemane? Would you think about this? Yeah, I think, you know, he had to face the pain of the cross. I know that. But, you know, he's holy, and I really believe this was the source of his agony, why he sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he agonized over the sin that would be his. He would receive into his human body, Isaiah 53 says this, he would receive into his human body, he would receive that garbage bag of my sin and your sin. Now, you've got to understand what it means to be holy. To be holy is to be pure. To be holy is to be without sin. To be holy is to hate sin. You don't hate the sinner, but you hate the sin. I mean, get into the theology, the doctrine of this whole thing. And Jesus agonized in Gethsemane because that garbage bag of my pride, that garbage bag of your sin and my sin was going to be in his body. The Father says, the Bible says, Isaiah 53, God laid on him, in him, in him, the iniquity of us all. And don't make God the Father out to be the bad guy because he put our sin, that garbage bag of our sin in the body of his son, Jesus Christ, because God the Father is holy and he is just. And he would not be God if he didn't punish sin. Folks, we got to understand that. He can't just look the other way and wink at sin. God must punish sin. And here is the big deal, the biggest truth you'll ever hear in your life. God didn't punish your sin in you. He punished his son. Sin got punished. God was just. He didn't punish me. Instead, he punished him. He didn't punish you. Instead, he punished him. He didn't punish us. Instead, he punished, punished his own son. And that touches me. It makes my sin out to be a big, big, big deal, not some trivial little thing. Would you think about this? When you stand before God in judgment on the day of judgment, there's going to be a record of all of our sins. The Bible teaches there's going to be a book. There's going to be a book. So I don't know what that all that means, but somehow there's going to be a record of our sins, and we're going to have to, and God will confront us. That's what it means. The book means that somehow God will confront us with our sins. And you're going to have to answer for those sins. And God's going to look at every believer in Jesus Christ He's not going to say anything. He's just going to smile and welcome you into his eternal home because Jesus already paid the price. Those sins have already been dealt with. I don't know if that touches your heart. And something has to happen inside you. That's called grace, folks. It's pure grace, the undeserved favor of the God of heaven given to me with deepest love. The Father sacrificed his Son. Jesus Christ took that garbage bag, that filthy, dirty, scummy garbage bag of my sin into his holy body. Now, you got to deal with that in your heart once in a while. He took that sin, that stuff that you dismiss. Now, he took that into his holy body, and that, that sin cost God. Man, it cost him dearly. And that's got to do something to touch my heart. And then if that doesn't break your heart and make you broken, what will? If that doesn't make me want to change and live for him, what will? That he took that hideous, hideous bag of garbage 
and he paid the price. See, now here's, here's the deal about self-esteem. See, that's the source of my self-esteem. Folks, you don't have to tiptoe around my feelings. I'm not fragile. A lot of people are fragile. You don't ever have to tiptoe around my feelings to, to make me feel good about myself. I mean, I don't need to be part of a family or a church body or a job or a group of kids and have them, you know, make a big deal out of me and meet my needs to feel good about myself. I feel good about myself. I'll tell you, I feel real good about myself, folks. I got a lot of self-esteem because the one true God, think about this too, the one true God, the only God, there is only one God, the sovereign of the universe, died for me and rose again, and I am precious to him. That's the source of my self-esteem. That's why I can feel good about myself, so you don't have to worry about tiptoeing around my emotions. And then when I intentionally or unintentionally step out of his perfect will and I consider the cost of my sin, I need to break into little pieces. I saw this guy one time. This was years ago at a Boy Scout camp. Many, 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 many years ago. But I saw this guy take a pick and a hammer and there was this big rock and he poked around the rock with this little pick and he finally found one spot and he took that hammer and he hit that pick and it broke into a thousand pieces, one strike of the hammer. Man, that's what I need. We need that to be shattered into pieces and so we confess our sins. That's the first step in repentance. And when you confess, just three quick steps. Number one, folks, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit. You've got to invite the Holy Spirit to help you confess your sins. I, you know, if the Holy, uh, every time I confess my sins, I'll tell you what, I, I ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, help you put your finger on, on, on what's wrong with me, and you put your finger on what I need to change. Please do this. Please do this. He's got to finger that sin that has to change. Because you know what? Unless the Holy Spirit helps me, I'm going to beat myself up for stuff I don't need to be beating myself up about, and I'm going to neglect the really ugly sins. And so you ask the Spirit, show me my sins. And then the second part of confession is you do this, you've got to get very specific. You've got to get very specific. Just don't don't go before God and say, God, um, you know, I sinned, forgive me. That doesn't do it with God. Not all the time. Most of the time it doesn't do with God. God, I sinned. And I do this every morning, man. I'll tell you, I confess, I confess my sins in the morning when I'm alert. And I go back over the day before. I want to give God my best time of the day. And so when I'm alert, that's when I confess my sins. And man, I'll tell you what, I shudder at some of the things that go through my mind. I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, you got to get ugly with God. You got to get real ugly with God. And you got to say stuff like this to God. God, I lied to my boss so I wouldn't get in trouble. Don't just say, God, forgive my sins. I lied to my boss so I wouldn't get in trouble. That's ugly, but it's real. I mean, here's how you confess sins. You say, you say, you say Lord, I got a faithful wife who loves me. She'd die for me. And there's this girl at the office, this young lady who's been playing up to me. And I went over to her chair and I looked over her shoulder at her computer screen. And I got my face right up to hers. And my beard kind of rubbed her face. And I put my hand on her shoulder. And I played that game. And that's ugly. Wow, is that ugly. That, folks, that is real. And that's how you have to confess your sin, man. You ask the Holy Spirit to show you your sin. You, 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 you review your day. I mean, you review your life with God and tell God your sins and their unvarnished truth. And, and here's where it gets really tough. This is really the tough part. What does God see in you? He sees, he, well, he sees the sins, but he sees the heart that produces the sin, right? You got to confess your heart. That's the really tough part. See, I spend most of my time when I confess my sins, I confess my motives. I confess my motives, and then I ask the Holy Spirit of God to help me change. Wait, no, I'll tell you what. I, I, I'll do some nice things for people, and, and I'll look real good on the outside, but God sees my heart, and this is what I deal with in my prayers. He sees that I didn't want him to increase. He sees that I wanted me to increase. 
And man, is that hard to admit to God. That is hard. But man, you got to get real because God sees that heart and he loves it when you confess that sin. And he will wash that sin away. He knows your heart. Folks, you can't mask these sins. Look into your heart. Get ruthless with yourself. Bring these things to God. Three steps in repentance, okay? Number one, ask the Spirit to help you confess those sins. Number two, be real, be ugly. And number three, confess your motives. And now the part of, here's another part. Here's just another part. Just a little aside here. Next part of confession, don't make excuses. Lord, I had a bad day. Or if he or she hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this. See, you're blaming somebody. Then you're a victim, okay? Don't do that. Just go to the cross. Don't don't go before God. But you see, this begins in your own mind. Don't do it in your own mind. I mean, she made me do it. He made me do it. If you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done this. If you wouldn't have said that, you ticked me off so bad, I wouldn't have lost my temper. Come on. You know what you do? You run to the cross. You just go to the cross. God, you can't. Don't do that to God. He sees. You just go to that cross, and you plead one thing. You plead the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's all you can do. So confession is the first part of repentance. The second part is, man, you got to do 180, and you got to walk away from that sin. This is Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 13. This is so good. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. I mean, you're masking that sin. You're burying that sin. You refuse to confess that sin. You're rationalizing it and saying, hey, man, I'm okay. You will not prosper. You will not prosper. You will not prosper. Now listen to this. But whoever confesses, now listen to this, and renounces, confess and renounce. If you got a King James, it says confess and forsake. Whoever confesses and renounces his sin or her sin finds mercy. If you confess and renounce, you find mercy. Listen, it's my love for Christ that makes us, that makes me want to change. But man, I'll tell you. I want to change, but I struggle. Because, man, I'm in battle every day with what the Bible calls our flesh. And I pray for the Spirit, folks. I cannot fight sin on my own. Renouncing sin is a God thing. It's something you're never going to do on your own. Listen to Philippians 2.13. I didn't write this. God did. God wrote this. The Holy Spirit works in you, and he will give you the desire. He will make you want to do God's will, and then he will give you the power to do God's will. If I fight my sin on my own, I fail. But it's my love for the Lord and my understanding of what he gives gave me. It's my brokenness that makes me dig in there and fight against sin. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.